we the higher up you are the more vulnerable you are to attack so the more protective you become around yourself and so if you're not listening or paying attention to the nuanced feedback that you're getting from people then you're not you don't have the ability to be aware You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. My job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yachtme. Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's w-h-y.y-o-t.me. You can find me, Kev Kyatt, at kevkyatt.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. And check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. You've probably heard of the feedback sandwich, where you put criticism in between two positive or flattering comments. Today's guest, Beth Watson, wants to rid the entire work world of that model because we're now so trained to hearing it that it undermines the whole experience. Instead, she has a completely different approach to feedback and challenging dialogue generally that's rooted in a safe, honest exchange of facts. It empowers both the giver and the receiver. This episode is a thought-provoking introduction to having better conversations that can reduce the drama and emotional drain of conflict. Hey, everybody. We are live on the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Beth Watson. We're going to be speaking about uh, giving feedback to colleagues. This is episode 44. Uh, just let me remind you that episode 43 was a special edition of me uh, moderating a, uh, a, a panel on hybrid events with uh, the Yacht Me founder, Barry Hinckley, and uh, other guests. Uh, so make sure you pick that up. We are now uh, fully on YouTube. Uh, all the uh, Yacht Me podcasts uh, are, are on YouTube to watch. And, of course, they're on Nonprofit Problem Solver to listen to and uh, your favorite place to pick up podcasts. Uh, so thank you to uh, Yacht Me as a um, sponsor of the podcast, as well as PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. So, hey, Beth, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? It's great to great. talk to you. Yeah. So tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your background and how you um, fell into uh, the nonprofit world uh, and uh, what you got going on at the moment. Great. I'd love to. So my name's Beth Wanson, and Wanson sounds just like Johnson with a W. 
Um, I, I fell into this type of work that I'm doing because I was working in public education. I was an assistant principal at a public high school, and I was spending all of my time taking kids to juvenile court, doing detentions and suspensions and all kinds of things that weren't, wasn't why I went into education. I went into education for human growth and development and helping develop the next set of people who are going to run our world. And so I left and went to a, a nonprofit organization that was focused on team development, uh, cultural change in organizations, those types of things, and moved up pretty quickly. I was really great at what I did, which was connecting with clients, working on implementations, those types of things. And so pretty soon I was pegged to manage the team that I had been part of. The challenge was... Um, I knew nothing about managing humans. I read some books. I looked at some theory. I took some classes. But the humanistic side of it was nothing that I understood. I had no idea what motivated adults, um, how to empower adults, how to tap into their strengths and genius. And so I became a nightmare manager. Now, my team will still tell you to this day, 20 years later, that I was a great manager, but I know that I was very emotional. People didn't know which Beth was going to show up, whether I was going to be stressed out and competitive and manipulative or celebratory and happy and relaxed. And they spent so much energy always trying to get me back to happy Beth when I was triggered and emotional and stressed out. And I began reflecting on how much more could we achieve if they didn't have to focus their energy on my emotional state of mind. So that's when I began really exploring emotional intelligence, um, leadership of people, human growth and development. And I developed this model called Navigating Challenging Dialogue. And so since about 2005, that's the work I've been doing. And most recently, I wrote uh, my newest book, which is called Mastering Feedback, Everything You Were Never Told About How to Give Feedback. And so people can find me on LinkedIn, um, super easy, or at ncdsolution.com. And we actually have, we'll get this out of the way in the beginning, a whole bunch of free resources for managers mm -hmm. and leaders. So people can go there and grab anything they want. That's great, and and so can people um, uh, engage with you in a in a in a paid way to to do training or consulting and and that oh, sort yes. of thing? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We have a whole um, leadership uh, coaching and cons consultation business. We also do um, workshops and in service and trainings with organizations, and you can see all of those resources on the website. Or people can just reach out to me at uh, support at bethwanson.com and. Tell me what you're struggling with, and we can come up with a solution pretty easily. That's that that's fantastic. Okay, so let's um, uh, let's uh, go back just a little bit. I wanna uh, I wanna unpick this um, sense of self realization you had as a as a nightmare manager. Uh, number one, how did you recognize that you were a nightmare manager, and and two. Do you think that most people who are nightmare managers know that they are nightmare managers? Uh, that was a great question. So it, it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, oh, my gosh, I am a nightmare manager. You know, <laughs> I heard 
that people were intimidated and afraid of me, not so much in my department, but in the departments that we had to collaborate with, that I was a force to be reckoned with. I also began to get signals from my physical health um, that I was not, um, the stress was taking its toll on me. And I got recruited, um, it was, so it was a several year process. So I got recruited to go work for an organization founded by Native American people who had developed this methodology for substance abuse, pregnancy prevention, um, and suicide prevention with Native American youth. And they had gotten a huge $3 million grant to codify the curriculum, begin doing implementations with tribes and bands all over North America. And so they needed someone with the skill sets that I had to come in and help develop their leadership team and mm -hmm. create a training and implementation program. So when I went to work there is when I realized that um, I really had some very difficult times managing my emotions when I was frustrated, when I was vulnerable, um, when I was uncomfortable. And uh, one of my favorite tools was sarcasm. I was raised in a family of five outside of Boston. Sarcasm yeah. is our love language. Yeah. And when I began working with people in that environment, sarcasm did not translate. And people essentially just thought I was kind of a jerk. And so right. luckily a leader took me aside, a Native American leader, and said, people don't understand how you're communicating. And so it was through that and observing the leadership models that I saw in that environment that I began to realize, okay, I'm doing it like the, the colonial way and there's a different way to, to work with people. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to use that that uh, that that term colonial because you know, as you know, we're we're going between uh, the U.S. and the U.K. The the there's certainly a different appetite and understanding of sar sarcasm. Yes. That's just one thing. And of course, Boston, you know, uh, both geographically and culturally, closer to the U.K. In a, and I'm, in a I'm ways, yeah. like off the Mayflower stuff right so <laughs> yeah 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 i am on my mother's side definitely so yeah so um sarcasm I, I i've not heard it referred to as a love language but that certainly resonates <laughs> with, with me and i and i and i agree you know there are certain there are certain work situations and and communities where uh that that just doesn't translate people just don't get that you're joking or you you know the deadpan delivery doesn't work uh and even when you're smiling it's just not clear that you can say those words and 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 not mean them you know mean them in a in a different way than they might be literally interpreted we do we do a um, segment on sarcasm in the navigating challenging dialogue workshop and um it's a very interactive experiential workshop it's not like knowledge transfer people are fully engaged in this process and there's always a point where someone says i love sarcasm everyone here loves sarcasm they love when i use it and if we built up enough trust in the room, slowly I see someone raise their hand and go, I, I don't love it. And then other people begin to talk about how it makes them feel. And the person who loves their own sarcasm, that was me. I cracked myself up all the time. I thought I was hysterical. That right. person gets a whole bunch of feedback around how it's impacting other people that they never realized. And so it really yeah. can shift an organization. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting, and, and you know, not to just get too, too personal about it, but I think it's a good example of 
communication style and things that we take for granted in, you know, our, mm. our friends and family that just doesn't necessarily translate in other contexts. Yes, 100%. So it was a, it was a number of years before you recognized that you were, uh, you know, this, the, the force to be working with had some negative implications. Um, and just that second question, do you come across managers then who are, in, you know, nightmares in their own way. Obviously, you know, people are multifaceted and have benefits and, and uh, skills and, and, and contribute in, in multi- multiple ways. But when they are nightmares, do they tend to recognize it and come to you asking for help to, 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 to train them? Or do they find out along the way whilst being trained that, wow, just like you said, I was, I'm, maybe I'm a bit of a jerk here, you know, and I need to do some work. Well, it happens in a few different ways. So there's a thing called the power paradox, and I don't know if you've read about it. There's a whole book about it, and I apologize to the author because I cannot think of his name right now. But what the power paradox tells us is the higher up we get in the power scheme, the less self-aware we become. The less we ask for feedback, the less we listen with empathy, all of those things. And what happens is we become isolated, right? And part of it is that we, the higher up you are, the more vulnerable you are to attack. So the more protective you become around yourself. And so if you're not listening or paying attention to the nuanced feedback that you're getting from people, then you're not, you don't have the ability to be aware. So the majority of the time I get a phone call from uh, president of the board or, um, somebody, you know, that's supervising a leader that's pretty high up in the organization. And what's happening is their emotional reactions are causing staff to complain, people to leave. Um, Some organizations are fearful of uh, human resource type lawsuits, which are very prevalent in the U.S., stress claims and all of those types of things. And so I usually the person is not aware or the person themselves contacts me because there's a symptom, right? There's high staff turnover. There's drama and chaos within the culture. There's backstabbing and gossip. I get that a lot. And those symptoms often tie back to the lack of self-awareness with the leader so while they call me in to fix the people, um, we often get to a place in the coaching where they have to look at themselves and how they're communicating. doesn't take very long to uncover it. And yeah. uh, I've never had anyone kick me to the curb. I've been doing this for a really long time. So I'm often brought in to deal with the quote-unquote bully that other remedies and threats and performance plans haven't worked with someone who's too valuable to fire because they keep the company in the black, the organization in the black, they have good relationships with the public, they're the face of the organization. So they're too valuable to fire, but they're wreaking havoc with the staff. That's when I get yeah. called. And, and it's interesting, the, the lack of self-awareness, the way that plays into the culture of the organization, you know, which starts at the top. And 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 so the the I've seen lots of cases. I'm sure you've seen even more where uh, leaders are, are are encouraging cultural elements that they themselves don't want to see and complain about. But it, again, it stems from from them that they just don't see it through this lack of self awareness. Yes. 
So if the leader is not, so navigating challenging dialogue is a framework and it can apply to feedback. It can apply to performance improvement. It can apply to coaching as a manager, strategic planning, problem solving, healthy conflict. You can put it anywhere. Cost, donor relations, um, a great place to apply the foundations of NCD. And so if the leader is not willing to subscribe to the foundations of NCD as the philosophy for how we communicate within this organization, then the staff can't carry it on their own because they just keep getting slammed when the leader will not participate. So it's, yeah. it's really something that has to go up, down, in, out, sideways, back and forth. It's a very simple process. I mean, the foundations of it are really simple. Well, I, um, and what I like, um, and I, you know, I love your your text and mastering feedback, and I think this feedback is a great way, a great place to start, because, every, it, it, you know, it's the core. Like, these conversations between colleagues, and and colleagues, it can include people who are, you know, have the same paycheck, same name on the paycheck, but it could be partners in your, you know, your, an important partner for your nonprofit or the board yes. or key donors. You know, we work in these, you know, in ecosystems and we're, we need to talk to them all uh, and provide feedback to them all. And if it seems to me, if you can master feedback, then that's typically the most common difficult thing that you've got to do. Yes. And if you if you feel comfortable with that, then just about every conversation should be okay from there on. That that's I'm guessing. Well, that's why I wrote the book. So um, during the pandemic, I turned sixty two years old in December, and you know I couldn't go celebrate or anything. And the day before my birthday, I had my I had to be my two hundredth coaching call with a leader who had a personnel problem or a relationship problem that could have been solved had they given feedback in the beginning, had they had an honest, fact-based, non-dramatic feedback conversation. But they created workarounds. They avoided the discussion. They tried to drop hints. They gossiped to other people about the person that they were struggling with or the behavior they were struggling with. Oh, I've never and seen I, that before. Right. And I thought, <laughs> I cannot do this coaching session again. Like, I will. I'm happy to. I, it's how I earn my living. But, but you could just press play, right? You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to get this written down. And so I spent the weekend. I wrote the book in the weekend. And oh, you did a Jack me, Kerouac, did you? Like a, I did, I did. I just mm, <laughs> sat down and hammered it out. And um, and I, I really believe firmly that the mystery, the fear, the self-protection around giving feedback that we create, the things that keep us awake at night as we try and think about how to give feedback to someone are just all thoughts in our head. They're not reality. There's yeah. research that says that something like 69% of employees are dying for feedback. They're begging for it. They want it. And 75% of managers on the same survey report that they don't give feedback. They don't have time for it. They don't think it's productive. They're concerned that employees aren't going to be able to handle it. And so they don't give it. So that's a problem. We need feedback to be able to grow and develop. It's an essential yeah. human need, and managers and leaders aren't giving it. And it's interesting because uh, I came across a study some time ago. I can't remember. It was doing, again, when I was doing organizational change, 
and it it, it um, was around one of those surveys and basically said staff listen um, aside from the sort of chitter chatter with their colleagues and their peers you know that we we all do in it in, in in a work setting it, but in terms of the uh, of listening to leaders or listening to uh, messages, corporate messages, I guess, if you will, or organizational direction. They really listen to the person at the top and then their immediate supervisor and basically ignore everyone else. And uh, so, you know, you know, the, the, the regional manager, all these middle, middle tiers and stuff, they just, no one listens to them except their immediate direct reports. Uh, and, it, and it shows, you know, that, the, that, that, that task of management, your direct reports, that one-to-one relationship you have uh, is so vital to that employee's experience yes. of work. Yes. And they're listening to you even when you're not talking, right? You're giving feedback all the time. You roll your eye in a meeting. You come in and you're annoyed at somebody that honked at you on the commute on the way in, but you don't verbalize that, right? And um, you're you're super excited about something. Whatever the case is, in the absence of communication, people always make the information they're getting about themselves, right? You put yourself in the story. So I remember when I was assistant principal, I got called down. Uh, it was in the old day. There, you know, the office got buzzed, and you knew what room it was, and you had to hurry down there. You didn't know what was waiting for you. And so the classes were passing and students and teachers were in the hall and I was beelining it down the hall to go see what was happening in the room we, I got bus to. And uh, the principal, my supervisor, got feedback that I'm not friendly when I'm in the hallway and that the teacher felt like I didn't care for them. I had it out for them. I was going to see whether I was going for bloody <laughs> noses or somebody broke their leg or I had no idea what I was going for. But it, that was when I realized you're constantly, when you're in a leadership role, you're constantly giving feedback. So you might as well learn how to make it concrete, fact-based, non-emotional, and deliver it often. If you're not yeah, giving that's, feedback that's, often, you're missing the boat. Okay, so that's fascinating. I'll, I'll admit, I've made, I've made, I made, I, I had this oversight myself. So I want to unpack this just a little bit for people listening to it. Because I think this is... This is important. So you get a title like, how should I give feedback to colleagues? And we can be, per, be <laughs> forgiven for thinking we're going to talk about how do you sit in front across from somebody, you know, or, you know, online and, and actually explain perhaps something might be challenging. But you just said something there, which I think is really, really profound about this being in this leadership role is that you're giving feedback whether you think you are or not. Your feedback loop or your feedback messaging or signaling that's probably it. your feedback signal is always on yes so 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 really this task is about learning to control that signal and and actually craft what it says so that it reflects what you want it to say yes yes it's about understanding how to normalize a lot of the book is how do you normalize feedback in your work culture how do you make it a thing that when you say, hey, can I give you feedback on that project? People don't go, oh, God, you know, the other shoe is going to drop. It becomes right. something that happens. It happens in meetings. It happens in the hallway. We're not waiting for 
the annual performance evaluation, which I think should be thrown out the window. Another topic for another time. Yeah, another vote here for that. Yes, because um, then you the annual performance evaluation is about how did you meet big picture goals? What? How do you want to grow and develop in the next year? And are you getting a salary increase? That's really and, and that's, all and that that's, it let's is. be fair. That's when it's done well. When it's done well, exactly. <laughs> Who does right. it well? Everybody right. dreads it. It's a task. It's a chore. No one wants to do it. It's done as quickly and as painlessly as possible, which makes it more painful still. I mean, yes. come on. These are these are this is a this is a terrible invention. Regardless of your religious orientation, I always say the annual performance evaluation is like Christmas morning. There's so much buildup to it. The people delivering it are like resentful and hesitant and can't believe they have to put the time into it. And they're trying to make stuff up to make it meaningful. And the person waiting for it is like waiting to open Santa's presents in the morning. In 15 minutes, it's over and done with. And uh, everybody's disappointed. <laughs> that's that's right, the right, annual yeah. performance evaluation <laughs> to me. So yeah, there are there are so many metaphors we could make for yeah. it, none of which are uh, are flattering. Um, so, <laughs> so that lest we be distracted. Yes. Um, so yes, you're right. You were talking about making feedback uh, a a normal um, part of the culture, and and I agree. This that's that that phrase. Can I give you feedback? Is almost like can can we speak honestly here? Can I have permission to criticize you in a in, in you know in a way? Um, and are you are you willing to accept that? Um, right. And that really shouldn't be what feedback is. That it's purely negative. No, feedback That's is start, about closing right? closing a gap, right? So the way to structure feedback: this is what your performance was on this project. This was the expectation. This is where I want to see you grow into. How would you like to close the gap? Feedback is an empowerment tool to help other people take action and initiate change. And that, and it's a dialogue and it's a conversation and it's always about a gap. It's about change. And the gap is not necessarily negative. If it's a negative gap and you don't believe the person can overcome it and you've had two feedback or three feedback conversations on it, now you need to move to a performance improvement plan. Now you need to decide, are they the right person for the job or not? And that's a different conversation. But feedback is always about growth, development, empowerment, and helping the person to take action so that they can use their talents, strengths, and genius. That's what a feedback conversation is. There should be no drama, nothing. The difficulty is when feedback isn't done well, the person receiving it becomes protective. They go into blaming mode. They become defensive because they feel vulnerable. And the person delivering feedback has the same reaction. So now they want to justify. They want to give examples. Um, they keep piling stuff on to the initial feedback. And it never gets to the empowerment piece of how, how do you want to close the gap? What next step do you think you might take? I encourage people as part of getting more comfortable with giving feedback to ask for three people to give them feedback on something very specific. And this is the other thing. 
Okay. If feedback is not about something specific, if it's general, oh, I want to give you some feedback on that project. You did a great job. I want to give you some feedback on how you ran that meeting. You, it, it was really good. Um, or you talk too much or whatever. It has to be specific. I've had all those, right? by the way. Yeah, right. So it has to be very specific and concrete. And so that's rule number one. The feedback Can you has give to an be example specific. of uh, of specific and concrete then? Uh, so in the asking for feedback, I would ask for um, – I would. I'm. I. I want to grow and develop. I want to improve. I'm wondering if you could give me some feedback on um, how it is for you when I delegate to you. What could I do better? What do I do well? What would you like to see changed? Um, could you give me feedback on how I run meetings? Um, I. You know, we have a weekly staff meeting. I'd love to give feedback on how, what I do well. What's difficult. What, where you'd like to see change. So you don't um, mean as, as specific, I mean, it could be as specific as, for example, uh, we've just run this uh, training session, were the materials clear enough? Or, sure. You know, did I go too fast? Or was the pacing but right? See, you know? This is, I'm sorry, I keep talking over you, but I get so no, excited right. about this topic. So the, um, I would not say, were the materials clear enough? Because now you're leading the witness, right? I would say, um, yes, I'd like, to, okay, so. <laughs> I'd like to give feedback on the materials. What worked? What would you like to see different? How could I improve for next time? Then right. Okay, so you don't want to be open. too specific that you are you know, putting words into the person's mouth or, or, or giving them even the dimensions. So, for example, in that, in that, in that example, I talked about the pacing. Uh, because maybe in designing this training, I was concerned about getting the pacing right for a, a, a mixed audience and trying to pitch it yep. correctly. And so I wanted feedback on that. But I wouldn't ask that. I would just say, how did it go and 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 try and gauge from what they're telling me whether I got the pacing right? Well, you could say, so in that case, so what you don't want is a yes or no answer. So um, were the materials clear enough? Yes, they were fine. <laughs> right that's you're not getting yes. anything but so it's more like how's how's how ends how questions and what yeah, questions right, and, right. Yeah. how is the pay can can you give me feedback on the pacing of the workshop oh yeah the pacing was fine the pacing was great say more about it see those are the types of questions okay. so i could to the pacing rather than ask it as a frame it as yes or no i asked can you give me feedback on the pacing Yes. Can you give me feedback well, on the clarity of the material? Yes. Right. Yeah. And if someone gives okay. you whatever answer they give you, I want you to I want you to mine a little deeper. Um, can you right. say more about that? Could you give me an example? How do you think I could shift it? Um, those types of questions to bring out a little more. Because as people are getting used to giving feedback, particularly if you're you happen to be their supervisor or higher in the up in the hierarchy, they're going to be timid, right? Because yeah. they they don't know if they can trust you. Right, and this right. is the deal: if you ask for feedback, you need to make sure that you accept it, that you thank the person for it, and you yeah. never ever bring it up in a negative way or because I know there's a lot of leaders out there. I might have used to been one of them 
who would ask for feedback and say, give me feedback on the handouts. Someone would give me feedback on the handouts. Maybe they'd say, you know, it was too many words and there needs to be more graphics and explanations and everything for all learning styles. And then I'd go into the meeting and hand them out and go, how are the graphics? You know, then yeah. you've destroyed any level of trust. You asked for them to be vulnerable. They were. And then you gave them the side eye on it. You can't. Yeah. You, can't. Yeah. you cannot do yeah, that. Yeah. So, right. So it's interesting about about you know the sort of the, the cultural dynamics here because I was cheating a little bit um, by 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 turning the question around and giving an example of what I've asked or invited feedback because I've been in organizations and in contexts where feedback, there clearly is not a culture of feedback and so trying to you know experiment in that way but of course as you mentioned there's the power dynamic here and the distance or perceived distance between uh, colleagues. Uh, in the structure about who who can safely give feedback and and what that what that means. So, in that situation with the graphics, you can you know use that very positively and use it as a way of encouraging, demonstrating to people, hey, look, feedback is good. Feedback is yes. good. We've all improved. Look, my graphics yes. are now improved because you guys told me. And look, yes. I'm trying to get it better. In fact, I got somebody to do them for me because I'm useless at them, which is why they weren't there or not very good. Yeah. And now they're much better. Please, right? Are they better? Yeah. Tell me, we can get better still. Or you give them the side eye and they never, right. <laughs> never then, say they anything again. I, right. I, I always, when I work with leaders, um, I have them ask for three pieces of feedback um, from, from someone they trust explicitly Someone they're not sure about, and someone they have no—they uh, may have had a conf conflict with in the past—and um, just experience that feedback. For, figure out a very specific ask that they're going to ask all three, and just experience it and notice what it feels like. Notice when they feel vulnerable. Notice when they want to defend. Notice when they want to justify. Notice the delivery of it so that they can internalize it and get more comfortable with it to improve their own practice with the feedback. It's very important that you do that because it, and it shows people, begins to normalize because people see that you are open to feedback. If you're not open to feedback, nobody's going to be open to feedback. And um, a lot of times when I work with managers on feedback or who want cultural change, and I ask them to go around and talk to people and ask for feedback. And people always say, you're doing great. You're wonderful. We don't have any problems here. Life is so good. If you get that from every employee you ask for feedback from, <laughs> you have a culture within which they do not trust you whatsoever. Right. Right, there is right, no right. trust. It's not yeah. you're doing a great job. Right. No, yeah. it's, you, you've walked into the room with the party line billboarded on your chest and they've just read it back to you. Yes. 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 Very true. Very true. Right. Okay. So um, this is this fascinating conversation. I know, and I apologize if I'm making it more difficult by bouncing around here uh, from sort of sort of different perspectives. Um, but uh, I'm just finding the, the material so resonant with with my own experience. And you and I've had this conversation, I think, before offline about about some of um, you know what what we experience going into organizations about about change and the expectations around them. But if someone if someone is really going to start to create this this culture, the the experiment that you suggested just now about asking three people and then demonstrating it, to me it seems like a very straightforward, simple way to get this ball rolling. 
Mm -hmm. It is. It's it's the first step. The first step is to understand what it feels like. I want to bring up another point that I talk about quite a bit in the book, which is we've all been taught, and, and most people know this term, about the feedback sandwich, right? Yeah. You say something nice, you give the difficult feedback, then you end with something nice with the goal to make it more palatable for the receiver, right? That's the whole goal. And, uh, and sugar. Right. And I want to encourage everyone to let that go. Don't do it again. Get rid of it. Because no more sandwiches. No more sandwiches because the only thing that happens is people go, uh-oh, when's the other thing going to come? They don't hear any of the positive stuff. And by the time you deliver the difficult stuff, they're so triggered and their brain is so shut down out of fear of what's coming that they don't hear any of it. So let that go. Our, my process is you begin by writing down everything you want to say, vomiting it up. It's the opposite of the feedback sandwich. Get it out on paper. And then you look at it and you say, okay, what's a fear-based statement? What's an assumption that I'm making that I don't know whether or not it's true? What's an unspoken expectation? What's something that in my brain I feel like this person should know, they should be able to do? Um, if, if I were them, I would. Any statements like that, you, you've uncovered an unspoken expectation. Get rid of, cross out all those things till you're left with the fact, just the fact. So an example would be, you know, Sally shows up late four out of five days a week, and you want to give her feedback on that. You're churning about this. You've been thinking about it for days. So without doing this assessment process, this self-reflection process, your feedback's liable to stay, come out like, Sally, I can't take it anymore. It isn't fair to the rest of the team. It looks bad for me. It looks bad for the organization. You should be able to get here at 8 o'clock every day. You need to be on time, right? That's what you're liable to come out with. What the feedback is, is Sally, the expectation is that you're here at 8 o'clock every day. What your performance has been is that four out of five days, you don't get here till 8.15, 8.30. This is a gap. What are you going to do? What action are you going to take to close this gap? That's the yeah. feedback. And, it, and then you empower them to come up with some sort of solution. Yep. And you can sit with the brainstorming process. You might reveal something. You might uncover something. Sally takes a bus. There's no bus that's going to get her there on time. Maybe you need to shift her hours. Who knows? But there's going to be a little bit of a discovery process that's going to happen as she brainstorms what steps she could possibly take. And then your follow-up question is going to be about accountability. Sally, those are some great ideas. How am I going to know? that you've taken action on them and how it's going. Well, I could send you an email. Well, you could see that I'm here, you know, four out of five days on time instead of four out of five days not on time. Whatever the case is, could we do a check-in next week? Can I get back to you after I look at the bus schedule? But you need to follow the loop. So many times we give people feedback. They say, I'm sorry, I'll do better. And we say, okay, good. And we send them on their way. And then we don't do any check-in. There's no accountability on it. Right. I love the way that you've modeled uh, an ideal situation, which reflects what you basically said before that around 
uh, creating a gap. Here's here's where we want performance to be. Here's where it is. This is the gap. This is all factual. Uh, what 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 are what are almost going to say? You, you, what are we going to do jointly with with some responsibility clearly for for, for the employee? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that I think helps people uh, perhaps do that challenging task. I can imagine it's challenging for people to drop the sandwich and sort of replace it almost with the, <laughs> like vomiting or it's almost like a stew, isn't it? It's, it's like, okay, now let's work out all the ingredients and we're going to throw out all the fear-based ingredients, all the assumption-based ingredients, and just go down to the actual facts that we've got yeah. here. Um, yes. And that is an exercise that I've never, in all the, you know, we talk about the, <laughs> the horrendous uh, annual evaluation stuff. I've never heard that sort of very um, important step uh, which empowers the managers who, who you know, tasked with, with leading on this feedback. Yes. So, and that there's, um, in the book, there's a set of worksheets that people can go through to prepare. So if you have a feedback session that you need to do, feedback you need to give, that you're resistant, it's been driving you crazy, it's blown up into a big problem, you can literally walk through these self-coaching workshops to get to what is the framework? What's the what's the message you want to convey, and how to convey it? And so you can get rid of all the other stuff, and it prepares you completely for that dialogue. Um, you know, once you do the worksheets three or four times on different scenarios, then you're gonna you won't need them because you'll be able yeah. to do it in your head and come up with it super easy. It's a, it's a simple solution, and I just want to see organizations focusing on communicating in fact-based ways that's not emotionally charged so that they can fulfill the missions that they were created to fulfill. We spend so much time on chaos and drama and miscommunication and lack of clarity and workarounds, and it's such wasted time, particularly for nonprofits who have really important mission-based work to do in this world. We can't spend time on all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that message. And that's, that's exactly, you know, why we have these conversations and why we, you know, we want people to, to, to learn from conversations like these. Um, in our last few minutes, l- uh, let me ask you, uh, since you've laid out such a clear way and simple, it seems like, you, you know, universally adoptable <laughs> approach to it. Um, where do people fall down when they're trying to do this? Where do you see people stumble and come back to you and go, Beth, I'm trying to do what you said. I'm, I saw the worksheets. I'm trying to do them, but, you know, uh, and then, like, what are the standard excuses that you get? The biggest, I know that you have to give them feedback, of course. Yes. The, <laughs> well, the biggest question that I get, um, and I'm really glad you brought this up, is, okay, great. You're talking about a lot of task-based stuff. It's tangible and everything. How do I give feedback on behavior? Um, somebody talks too much. Somebody's gossipy. Somebody's not a team player. They're not compliant, right? Um, they're, you know, they're not, they don't engage in conflict well. How do we give feedback on those things? And this is, this is um, how you do it. For every job description, for every job in the organization, there needs to be an understanding of what are the behaviors that make that person successful in that job and what are the behaviors that make that position able to contribute to the team, 
and able to contribute to the mission. So there's tasks that do that. For the, for the bookkeeper, there's very specific tasks they have to do to keep the mission moving forward. But there's also behaviors that need to be done. And those need to be explicit and spelled out, and then you can give feedback on that. So if, if Bob is gossiping and talking you know, behind people's back all the time and causing drama and chaos, he is spending time that he needs to be doing the task to move the mission forward. He's not developing collegiality. He's not being a productive member of the team, and that's a gap that needs to be closed. And so that's how you can address that behavior in a feedback session. This would is you, Would you recommend some of those behaviors be tied to, say, uh, 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 the, the values in the mission or the corporate values, you know, for example, around trust or those sorts of things? Or is that just like an extra layer? Because I can see a lot of people thinking, oh, this is how we, you know, we want the behaviors to line up with our, our five core values of da-da-da-da-da-da. So know. the behaviors should empower the living of the values that so the behavioral norms so behavioral norms uh, come kind of underneath values are often aspirational um they're often idealistic and so the behavior norms are what get us to those values if you are speaking your truth um, if you are um, focused on the good of the whole whatever the whatever the values are um, and I encourage people, I'm going to tell you a really quick story, to break those down, allow people to break them down, and this is why. When I taught in a behavioral classroom at the high school level, the high school gave us this list of behavior norms that we had to put up in the room, and one of them was respect. Well, I had a kid whose mother was a crack addict and had a different person at the house every night of the week. He never knew who was going to show up, and it was a very violent environment. I had another young man who um, grew up in a, in a first-generation American-Italian family that was very passionate and very loud, and family gatherings to him were people whacking each other on the shoulder and say, calling each other names and be very boisterous and everything. That was respect for him, yelling stuff out all in the yeah. middle of class. So I had 20 kids. Every kid had a different idea of what respect was. The boy <laughs> with the... With the people coming and going in the house, his idea of respect was my ball caps down and I never make eye contact with anyone. I am showing you respect. So if I were going by my definition of respect to judge their behavior, I would have been throwing those kids out of class left, right, and center because they weren't living up to the values. So you need to break the words down with your people and say, what does it respect look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? How do you know when you're okay. getting it? So let me let me just pull, let me just summarize that as we need to explicitly translate the values into behaviors, so we all recognize what they mean. And obviously, you need to work through some sort of negotiation process, not to necessarily arrive at the same thing, but right. that you need to recognize each other's definitions. Yes, so because they're going to because they're all as you said all working with their own version of respect. Yes. Will look like they don't respect each other. And it's all part of dialogue, navigating challenging dialogue. It's all part of it. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Um, we, <laughs> we, we've run our 45 minutes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, could, and I'm sure we could do uh, several rounds more. 
Um, I think uh, I think you should come back again sometime uh, in future, and we can uh, break down some of these issues in more detail. Yeah, I'd think? love to. Yeah, be happy yeah. to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. And, and, and I'll, I'll think we'll 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 think on uh, something perhaps more specific because I think there's a uh, there's so much to learn from here. And Moira, I think uh, one of the things we didn't get to, which is pretty important, I think, for uh, the the non nonprofit uh, leaders, is managing the board in a, in a different way. For say some of the the, the staff and volunteers. And then also uh, negotiating with major donors, and obviously there's a, yes. a Venn diagram with the uh, with the board <laughs> and major donors often. But uh, <laughs> I think um, I think applying some of these principles to those those relationships would be a really useful conversation yeah. we should pick up in the in the not too distant future, sure. maybe sometime later this year. Yep, happy to. It's been great to talk to you, and I hope people found some things that are valuable and useful. Yes, I'm sure. Can you remind people uh, where to find uh, your book, where to find you, how to get in touch, uh, follow you online, and those sorts of things? So ncdsolution.com is your pathway to, to everything we offer. Um, there's so many resources on there. The book is on there. Uh, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, and you can reach out to me at support at bethwanson.com. Okay, I'm sure I'm sure you'll get some. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Um, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in to Nonprofit Problem Solver. This has been episode number forty-four. Uh, next time on episode forty-five, we're going to be speaking to Dana Litwin about uh, getting the best out of your volunteers. So come uh, join us uh, live next Wednesday if you can. Uh, otherwise, look for the podcast and the replay. Uh, so we'll see you then. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Beth Watson, who you can find on LinkedIn. You can find all her training materials at ncdsolutions.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com because good causes deserve better results.